Good morning and happy Thursday. Today is September the 21st. I'm your host, Ram Christopher. And I'm Kyle Christopher. This is Everything's Political. So we are at episode 20 and we are (laughs) going to give you a treat. Today we're going to give you a little international news. India suspends visas for Canadian nationals as diplomatic spat deepens. Really? Yeah. We're, we're doing international news now. Yeah, a little bit. Just a spat. I think this, I mean, it covers some of the base. Some of the people that listen to us will be interested in this. And I think that it's something that will have a le- legs here in the U.S. as well. Um, and in national news, members of the Senate GOP predict McCarthy will go to Democrats for votes. Following that, we have Governor Ron DeSantis, GOP presidential candidate, who on Wednesday unveiled his energy plan that he says will reverse the Biden era Green New Deal style regulations and put the U.S. on the path to gas prices of a two dollar gallon of two dollars a gallon by 2025. Wow. If you believe that, stand on your head. (laughs) I'll just say because two dollars. That sounds good, though. (laughs) Trump. Also uh, is in the news. He's steamrolled anti-abortion groups. This is the first thing he's done that makes sense, honestly, because he's obviously not pro-life and he's sponsored a few ABs in his day. Obviously. <laughs> Biden uh, snubbing again. He Biden snubs Brazilian president by deciding to walk into a flag instead of shaking his hand at the end of a joint speech during the UN summit. Did you see the video? Yeah, it's pretty bad. And in local news, although it's National New York Day, I don't really what, feel what like... What the hell is National New York Day? Hey, I don't know. It came up in the news today. It's National New York Day. You know, there's a national... There's Every day is a national day of something. And right. today is National New York Day, so everybody should be celebrating New York and the country. But I don't really feel like celebrating. Um, although Adams, Hochul, um, they call Biden's protection of Venezuelans a game changer in the migrant crisis for New York City. Honestly, don't feel so optimistic about it. Do you, Kyle? Not really. It feels like we're in the middle of an inner party battle. Ugh. Definitely, definitely. And the snubbing seems to have no end because, again, Biden, um, he's praising Hochul, um, but he's staying clear of Adams. Um but I guess there's a silver. There's a light at the end of this snubfest tunnel because Hochul is praising Adams now, and she's stating that New York City is at capacity and migrants should consider settling elsewhere. I mean, it, it's really sad that we have to take so much time to get to common sense. <laughs> That's my thought. And to round it all out, we have a bit of comic relief for you all. The serial sperm donor... <laughs> Running for city council and a fellow protester accosted Governor Kathy Hochul over the Big Apple's migrant crisis as she spoke at a Manhattan event Tuesday. Kyle, it's not what you think. He wasn't trying to make her baby mama number 100. I didn't think he was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I just had to say. (laughs) It just felt like a good comic relief moment. Um, And, of course, we have our WTF story. Um, but we'll get on with that a little later. So let's go ahead and swing it over to our first, um, story coming out today, uh, dealing with our international news. All right. And we have, um, India suspending visas for Canadian nationals as diplomat, uh, spat deepens. You want to go ahead and read that for me? 
All right. India has suspended visa services for Canadian citizens over what it says are security threats against diplomats in Canada, escalating a spat between both countries after Ottawa accused New Delhi of potentially being behind the assassination of a Sikh separatist activist on its soil. BLS International, which handles visa applications for India and Canada, sent a letter to Indian stock exchanges on Thursday that said visa services have been suspended till further notice. Due to operation reasons with immediate effect, 21st of September 2023, India visa services in Canada have been suspended until further notice. The letter sent to the Bombay Stock Exchange, the National Stock Exchange of India, and the Metropolitan Stock Exchange read. Earlier, BLS International stated on its website that India had suspended visa services for Canadian citizens from Thursday, citing a notice from the Indian mission. The notice was briefly removed on Thursday before reappearing again without explanation. India's Ministry of External Affairs said security threats faced by Indian High Commission and consulates in Canada led to temporary measures of halting visa issuance across all categories. The issue of, is of incitement and violence, the inaction by Canadian authorities, and the creation of an environment that disrupts the functioning of our High Commission and consulates. That's what's making us stop temporarily the issuance of visas or providing visa services, the ministry spokesman Arundam Bakshi said. Wow. Uh, this is, it's, it's pretty crazy. And I think that it's, uh, it's kind of um, illuminating a lot of things that's happening here, too, in America. Because I feel like Canada and America kind of, like, do a lot of the things um, similarly. Um, there's a lot of, of, of time now where we see our leaders just going off. Uh, off the dome and saying whatever they want and making allegations where they should not do those when they start to look like amateurs. And I know like from this story um, where, you know, Trudeau had, um, he, he, you know, called that press event saying that, you know, he believes these people uh, assassinated um, the Sikh leader and he made these allegations. Well, he has people from his own um, country uh, really enraged at him for doing just that, right? Um, they're saying that this right here deepens the um, lack of respect that Canada has shown on the international uh, playing field. Um, and, and this type of or lack of leadership is what's really been so detrimental to them as a nation in totality. Um, and I pulled up a an article from Al Jazeera where um, an individual was, uh, was speaking about it and it is, it is entitled if India killed a Canadian Sikh, Trudeau and other liberal PMs are at fault. And it says that Trudeau is playing politics and he's hiding Canada's long history of allowing foreign allies to target its non-white nationals. Um, and, uh, this article was done by an Al Jazeera, uh, columnist, Andrew Mitrovica. Um, and in this article, it, he goes on to talk about how it was like an embarrassing fact that was made plain yet again when earlier this week, a stern looking prime minister, Justin Trudeau rose in the house of commons to say that he wanted to share some pressing news with Canadians. Uh, the moment's profundity was undercut by an undeniable impression that the dramatic scene, which included a sea of suitable, solemn looking members of parliament sitting in silence behind Trudeau had been choreographed to burnish a bruised prime minister standing as a man of gravitas and action. Um, speaking in a deliberate but determined tone, Trudeau told Canadians that the country's spies and cops had recently been pursuing leads that agents of the G20 partner and Democratic ally, India, may have murdered a Canadian on Canadian soil. 
Um, and, and, and he goes on to say that this is an astonishing accusation that ricocheted instantly across Canada and across continents and stunned newsrooms that in their shocked state wrote five alarm headlines which inferred that India was guilty as charged of the appalling sovereignty insulting crime. And obviously we're seeing the after effect of this because he did not have anything to back it up. And this article goes on to talk about how he did not bring forth any real proof that they did this, but he makes this accusation. And it just kind of shows you where we are with our leaders, especially in the Western world and how they're like becoming um, a spectacle of of laughter really because they they're they're more like soap operas looking for um you know those um those sound bites they're they're look they're, they look more like um you know people seeking fame or um a moment in the in the spotlight rather than doing public service and keeping their head down and um and doing what's necessary and Trudeau has continuously done things that were I I find to be very um, annoying and like just just not really that of what you would expect out of the leader of your nation, right? Like, and 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 I think that America is starting to mirror a lot of that too. And I think uh, uh, the theme of this kind of um, speaks to the theme of our show today. Kind of speaks to this, and that is um, we need to stop being the celebrity. Um, our, our our people that are in public office shouldn't be celebrity. They should be there to be doing the work and making sure things go forward for the betterment of the people that they serve. Definitely. I think that um, it's a complex issue and Justin Trudeau is another Nepo baby and we've talked about that issue before and you know for I guess for many Americans and many listeners they may not be aware that Justin Trudeau's father was Prime Minister of Canada as well and that you know Justin Trudeau the actual training that he has is that of someone that it would have been a high school teacher or a, a grade school teacher. He has a degree in literature and a degree in education, and he started a degree in, um, I think it was geography or something like that, so environmental geography. So, you know, this is somebody that was going to be a high school teacher if his father wasn't who he was. And, you know, he was given a piece of information, supposedly or allegedly, it was that the United United States and the United Kingdom had uh, come across or, or had their investigations had concluded that, uh, you know, India was responsible for the killing of Singh um, in, uh, obviously, in, in, in uh, uh, what was it, British Columbia. So you have these uh, facts that obviously they don't give them the whole report. They tell him straight uh, or as someone whispers in his ear that this is it. And he goes and confronts Modi. Uh, Straight off, and he doesn't really understand what he's doing. He's not a he's not a professional politician. He's not he's not a, a, a sleek or 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 cunning man. He's he's very um, much a, a good looking George Bush W George W Bush. That's what he is, because uh, his daddy was president and now he's prime minister. However you want to look at that, but this is part of the problem with nepotism, and you know this is threatening to become an international disaster and international. Uh, uh, a real problem for both the United States, the United Kingdom, and India, who are major trade partners, and and India being such an important ally for the United States, in that you know they're siding with us instead of siding with China. And if they side with China, China has a very good chance to win the Cold War that we are in right now against China. There's actually a Cold War going on right now, and a lot of people don't realize that. But you know, it's not Russia versus the United States; it's China and it's China and the United States. And right now, China's out ahead. They've, you know, taken out our children with TikTok. Our kids are busy wondering about, 
you know, who they are while their children are doing group activities that require 100 children to be in sync uh, physically and mentally at the same time. There's no way our kids with the with the individuality and the and the and the emotions that we've, you know, made sure that they express so fully and deeply uh, would be that way. And, you know, we were talking about this, too, because you remember they had the challenge with uh, Vivek saying that they were going to bring it back. Our kids were the kids that were doing those things, you know, 50 years ago, 70 years ago. Um, that were doing these uh, amazing fitness challenges and and coordinated with their entire class uh, and and classes across many different like a junior high school would be able to perform amazing feats of strength and and agility and, and mental and mental fortitude, but you know our kids aren't there anymore. So obviously we're actually behind the curve. We're uh, we're, we're behind the curve as far as this this cold war that we're in, and this is another instance of our children, you know Justin Trudeau being the child in this case being unable to handle emotional information because we've already made it that they can explode and fall apart at any given moment uh, with any new information that they're given and not play it close to the chest and not play, you know, be a big man, but rather be an emotional, emotional being, quote unquote, (laughs) a baby. And, you know, this is what we end up with. And could you imagine what you know, the generations to come, how their leaders are going to look if this is what Justin Trudeau is doing. You know, what are the next generation of Nepo baby type leaders are going to look like? You know, China has us right where they want us. Yeah, and it's like, it makes you wonder, like, what will we even stand? Because, again, like, with Canada being such an ally to America, um, what what does that mean for us? And do we get into this mess? Because it seems like we've continuously dragged ourselves into any mess of any ally. And what does that mean whenever you have it's a mess between two people or two, two different groups that are more so allied to us. What does it do for us um, in, in the future of America? Because, it, it, I mean. I mean, you know, is this, a, you know, just for some of the history buffs, is this, you know, the Archduke uh, Franz Ferdinand and, uh, the, and, and, you know, the opening shots of World War One, You know, because if someone attacks a Canada at this point in time, the United States is full on in war at this point. At that point, right? Exactly. That's what I wanted you to drag out because that was a part that I I felt like it is not really being stated here because, like, I know like the Al Jazeera they have like the the, the message that they want to send and what they see um, Trudeau doing um, with non-white residents there, but also what is the message? Because I mean, he's also he's been known as like the progressive PM, right? But it's it's interesting to hear from someone within the borders who's not white, who is maybe of a different, you know, from a different um, sect, you know, than what's normally represented in the media. And and then seeing what they have to say about it and how it kind of ties into how we are always talking about how the the progressives are always well-meaning, but they end up doing more harm and um, to like the black community or to uh, b- the black and brown people that they say that they're helping so much or who they're speaking for. And I feel like this is another testament to that because you're putting the you're putting so many people in jeopardy by not being able to conduct yourself. So it's a very good point that you brought up about him not being able to play it close to the chest. Um, just going on about, uh, you know, uh, playing close to chess. We're now going to talk about our, some national news here. Um, and I, I wonder if McCarthy is playing it close to the chest or if he's being vocally out there um, when it comes to these votes that he has to whip um, in order to keep the government from closing. Um Government, uh, Senate GOP predicts McCarthy will go to Democrats for votes. So if you, you've been listening or you've been paying attention to the news, um, 
there we are currently at a time where we're trying to get the budget done um if it doesn't you know the government will shut down um it uh in most times uh we we see that when we have government shutdowns it's detrimental not only uh for uh our individual people in the it's also uh detrimental to our small businesses it's really bad for our economy um uh, things don't get done trash doesn't get collected if you're in dc um a lot of things just go completely uh awry so uh says senate republicans are predicting that speaker kevin mccarthy will need to reach out to house democrats to get the votes to prevent a government shutdown at the end of next week um, GOP senators don't think McCarthy will be able to unify his entire GOP conference behind any measure to prevent an October 1st shutdown and will have to rely on Democrats to keep federal departments and agencies open. But they predict the speaker won't reach out across the aisle until the last possible moment to avoid a backlash from House conservatives who are threatening to offer a motion to essentially dump him as speaker if he does not hew, hew to their demands for a major spending cuts the reality they say is that only spending measures that can pass both senate and house is on uh that has bipartisan support yeah i mean obviously i think that marjorie taylor green and matt gates and those on the far left i mean the far right excuse me sorry um it's quite a show quite a morning right now so uh, excuse me on that but those on the far right have no intention of actually signing it. And they have no conception either of what the shutdown means because none of these people were in Congress when the last shutdown happened. Um, So it's one of those things where, you know, they're going to ride it until the wheels fall off and they want the wheels to fall off because they may be looking at it as if, you know, this is what, what they did to Trump when the last shutdown happened is that, you know, the Republican, the Democrats made a fool of him and we're going to make a fool of of Biden in a sense. But the fact of the matter is, is that because of their outsized profiles and their penchant for, for, you know, garnering news headlines, it's not going to go that way for them necessarily, because we're going to know what Marjorie Taylor Greene's demands are. We're going to know how Matt Gates feels after, after the set was the last session. We're going to know that Lauren Berber is going to be, you know, on Twitter saying what she says. And we know all the rest of Freedom Caucus is going to say what they're going to say on Twitter. So or parlor or whatever other uh, platform they choose to, to do so. But ultimately, they're not going to keep their mouths quiet and let that blame fall just on Biden as they should. If they're if they were to really believe that they were going to do this to, you know, uh, defame or, or to, to mess Biden up, however you want to look at that. So I think it's really a matter of. You know, this is an unavoidable thing. It's this is the the you know the train is going to come off the tracks at this point in time. There's no way to stop it. I don't see it happening because, you know, McCarthy doesn't want to 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 in, incur the wrath of these people uh, of the far uh, far right, and uh, there definitely will be people on the far. I mean, in the middle, center left, moderate left. Uh, your blue dog Democrats that might be willing to actually want to do the same exact things, but he's not going to be able to attract them until it's too late. That's correct, and that will lead to the GOP losing big in the upcoming elections. Um, that's what that's the that's the the usual trend of things, right? Like if you are the party responsible for shutting down the government, you're going to lose big in the upcoming elections. So if I'm McCarthy, 
I, I'm not going to uh, play this close to my chest. And honestly, um, if, if, if I really want to keep my job, I think the best way in order to do that is reach across the aisle um, so that you can still with, with, uh, retain the majority. Because if you don't have the majority, you don't have a job anyway because it's going to go over to, I, I believe it'll go over to Hakeem Jeffries if Pelosi isn't you know back in, um, in office by that time. And she's running again. I, I think that she said that she's not going to be part oh, of leadership. she's not going to yeah. do it? Okay, okay. Yeah, so she's officially a backbencher oh, Okay, now. making sure, because I thought she was going to make... <laughs> because he's, he's currently uh, the... The leader. The minority leader. Yeah, yeah so it'll go to uh, Hakeem Jeffries, um, and then you lose your job to him. Um, I thought Pelosi was going to try and come back in and, you know, say, yeah, you haven't heard the last of me yet, but it's glad I'm glad that she recognizes that she has a good um, leadership in Hakeem Jeffries. So if I'm McCarthy, I'm going to I'm going to make the move to uh, definitely reach across the aisle because I'm trying to hold on to my job and I'm not just going to be trying to um, make Gates happy, who seems to be a demon who's never going to be content about anything anyway. Um, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, forget about it. Like the, these are these are people who are, are are puppets. And at the end of the day, I think McCarthy, at the very least, is a politician who's smart enough um, to get to where he's at right now uh, to know what he needs to do in order to keep the government going. Sure, I, I I agree with that. You know, you you have to have some kind of cunning, some kind of intelligence or ability to get to where he's at right now. But I don't think he's the right man for the moment. And it's not about actually the man or man. It's more about the moment. And the moment is that you have radicals that want to exact tit for tat revenge uh, against actors that have nothing to do with it. Because you know, Joe Biden wasn't directing uh, Democratic uh, congressional and, and senatorial moves. While he was retired, like yeah, of course he wasn't. No, not at all. I think uh, he was out of the limelight. We didn't know what was going on with old Joe. Uh, Joe came to save the day because uh, we all knew that it was going to take a white strong man to beat Donald Trump, and that, that's what I called it early on, and that's what happened to be the case. Um, and so we got Joe, um, and Joe, you know, like he's had to deal with a lot of stress in that job and in that in that post, and right now we we are seeing. Um, a tit for tat, like you say, match continuously go on between the Democrats and the Republicans in the House, um, in the Senate, and in the country at large. We have this by bi- this bipartisan war um, that is being waged, and and hopefully McCarthy will have the balls to to stand up to it, say no to party antics, and and go ahead and do what's best for the American people, and that is keep the government going. So. While we're talking about the GOP, I think we should go ahead and talk about one of the GOP candidates for President DeSantis and what he's saying about um, his efforts to combat the Biden Green New Deal era. Do you want to go ahead and read that for me? I mean, I don't think we have to read it. He said that gas is going to be $2 <laughs> in 2025. I don't think that he has the mechanisms down. Like, I don't think he actually can under, like, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in how gas is priced and you know, the I think that, you know, it's smart on his part to say it because it's one of those things that they were talking about where people will blame Biden. There was a, a, a talking point that was going on during 2022 going into the elections. Uh, you know how people will blame the president for the price of gas. And that's not exactly how it works. And just following that logic, we know that the president can't set the price of gas. Right. It's not we're not in a a socialist country. We're not in an authoritarian country where the president just decides the gas and it's two dollars. That just doesn't happen. And there's the international market as well of gas that, 
you know, kind of also press, pushes economic forces on the prices of oil and, and, and of, of uh, distilled gas. So there's really not a way that I can see how he can do this. It's a kind of, you know, it's an outlandish thing. But the other thing that to take into note is that Vivek Ramaswamy is polling at 13% currently. And Ron DeSantis has fallen to 10%. And both Nikki Haley and Chris Christie have pushed past him. So he's gone in the matter since the first debate of a, of a month ago, which was September 20, I mean, uh, uh, August 24th. And we're, you know, almost a month out from that. Let's call it, you know, 28 days from that. Uh, four weeks from that debate, and he's fallen to fifth place. Yeah, I mean, I I, I knew he wasn't going to stay up there long. I think this is a moment I can say I told you so. I didn't really think that DeSantis had what it take. I, it's not about the weird smile that he has, but I think, you know, what he's trying to do here with the with the gas price situation, I think that, it, it you know, it's a little too late um, for him. The $2 gas, I would say, hey, sign me up. Um, you know, I drive a big truck, and it takes a lot of gas. I'd say sign me up because I, I we know what's coming with the Saudi Arabia. Um, he's reading he's reading the news. He's obviously smart enough to try to bend to what's going on with the automobile crisis, all that stuff that's going on we see with the uaw and i think we were listening when we were driving we heard them talking about you know um you know those those top level union guys uh with uaw aren't really uh giving the information that's being uh sent from stellantis and from ford they're not really relaying that to their your union members um and so you know one of the santis's uh points of his uh campaign is that he said that you know he's running on trying to restore the american automobile he has like a real a lot of really good talking points some of the things that i would be in favor of if i'd heard them sooner but i think a lot of the things that he's done some of the gaps that he's had done in his own state keep me from liking him with the the ap african-american history all those things um so this two dollar gas comes in a little too late i mean these are common good things that you want to hear as an American citizen and although the president does not set the gas prices we do know that their relationships with foreign entities such as Saudi Arabia all these other really like um, uh, top level uh, gas uh, or oil um, oil heavy countries um, they do have some sway there so if he's able to um, negotiate and have good relations with, uh, you know, the crown prince of Saudi and, um, or whoever, whatever nation, wherever you're going to get it from, um, then he would have an ability to try and, and unroll that back. Cause what he's saying is that that green new deal error, which is what we're talking about when Biden is constantly driving home the climate change agenda, all you're doing is fueling Saudi Arabia. We talked about it earlier in the week. You're fuel, you're fueling the, 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 the fire behind Saudi Arabia in their decisions to raise the, the price of oil per barrel. So I think that like, Although, no, as a president, you don't make the decision because we're not in a socialistic country. You do, you do, you do kind of, uh, I guess you have a, a ability to, uh, to change the narrative. You have the ability to, you, you know, create relationships that would be lucrative for your own nation and drive down the cost of gas so your American constituents don't have to see $6 at the pump. So DeSantis and what he's saying is I, I do agree that it's a possibility that he'd be able to do some of what he's saying, but I don't think he's going to ever get out of the GOP um, because he kind of sucked it up um, out the gate. And now we have other people, like you mentioned, and hopefully, hopefully, to God, it's not Nikki Haley, but 
we do have people like Vivek Ramaswamy and obviously Trump is still leading the pack. And, um, I mean, that's what I, I, that's what I feel about it. I mean, you have any more you want to add to it? No, I mean, it's, it's an impossible. I, you know, I think that you're giving too much hope and that DeSantis had originally, uh, you know, he tacked toward the far right and tried to attract them with those things with the, the AP American history and a bunch of the other things that he was doing. He tried to attract the far right and Vivek has beaten him to parts of that. Um, you know, Trump has obviously still has maybe in the race. So now he's trying to establish himself more as in, in one of the other lanes that Vivek is, I think is, is sort of the leader in as you know, the populist, the, the every man, a populist, uh, you know, slash demagogue that is going to say what it, what it takes to get elected. And, you know, that, you know, there's people that are saying things that are just to get elected. And, you know, there's something else that came up recently that, you know, as far as people trying to get elected. Right. Oh, but I just want to go back to, to the point that you made. I'm not saying that he stands a chance of winning, but I think that what he's saying is something that is needed in the sphere of getting elected. So he, it might not work with him, may not carry with him, but if Vivek is carrying this message or if Trump is carrying this message, it's a message that resonates and it does apply and it is an actual reality when it comes to how much we're paying at the pump because those relationships matter because Saudi already told us why they're raising the, the price of oil and it has been a lot to do with this movement towards clean energy cars and electric cars and all of that, so... Right, and I disagree with that. I think that the Saudi Saudi is being they're taking advantage of what's happening because we're still using a similar amount of energy to power the homes um, oh. that is coal powered, uh, natural of gas. They are. So you know, oil products are and, and and natural resources are still being used to um, heat our homes and to electrify our homes and in turn electrify our cars. But if we have a president that also is in turn willing to do fracking or willing to do drilling here on U.S. soil, we do see a decrease in the cost of gas at the pump because you do control some of that, right? I definitely think that we'll see a decrease in the cost of gas. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think that $2 we is, 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 especially in the face of, of the inflation period that we have just gone through and we're still you know, still seeing the lingering effects of this new inflation, right, uh, period. So I think that $2 is kind of like, it can't be the floor. I think the floor is somewhere around 240 250 and that's okay. still a very big, different a different price. That's, that's fine. Yeah, it's a very different price, but it's still a lot better than $6 is what we're going to get. We're going to be seeing once we, you know, once we see the, the new costs and, and the lack of fracking here in the U.S. And you were right. You were on to something. You said someone else is just saying whatever they want to say, right? And we're going to go right into that. And that is our former president, Donald J. Trump. And Donald J. Trump, Donald J. Trump he steamrolls anti-abortion groups. Donald Trump's recent moderate turn on abortion has boxed in the deep-pocketed anti-abortion groups. Um, you go ahead and read that for us. In just the last week, Donald Trump called Florida's six-week abortion ban terrible, refused to endorse national restrictions, blamed abortion opponents for Republicans' 2022 election disappointments, and pledged to compromise with Democrats on the issue if elected. Anti-abortion groups can't agree on what to do about it. As is his GOP opponents have seized on the comments, hoping to close a wide polling gap by attacking Trump as a fair-weather conservative, the anti-abortion movement finds itself at a crossroads, afraid of alienating the presumptive nominee, but loath to let his remarks go unchallenged. 
Are pro-lifers going to allow themselves to be a cheap date, said Patrick Brown, a fellow with the Conservative Ethics and Public Policy Center's Life and Family Initiative? Are they going to sit back and take it when candidates are denigrating their, the cause they dedicated their life to? Trump's attempt to have it both ways on the fraud issue, calling himself the most pro-life president ever and taking credit for the fall of Roe v. Wade, while also shunning the priorities of anti-abortion groups that helped elect him in 2016, has exposed those groups' struggle for relevance in a lopsided primary and highlighted ongoing divisions inside the movement. Now, if I'm a GOP person, if I'm a Republican, I'm a a staunch conservative, I'm saying, what the hell, dude? Like, there is no way in the hell, if I'm really the conservative that I say that I am, that I would vote for this guy. Because he is exactly what I always have said that he is. He's a slimy, disgusting parasite that'll say whatever it is to take. He is the epitome of a demagogue. Because this guy who we all know has sponsored an abortion in his life, more than one, and you know it. You can just look at him and tell, right? So he's this guy who's known for affairs and everything else and grabbing women by the peas. He then told us, okay, well, I care about life. I'm a pro-lifer. Abortion is terrible. And, and, And you all believed him. This guy doesn't know God. Like, he doesn't know God. He doesn't know anything about anything. But you all backed him, and now you have egg on your face because as soon as he realized, he read some polls, he realized the only way that he can win against Joe Biden is this fringe issue, this this topic of abortion. And he decided to, you know what, throw it out, throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, you know, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to go for the agenda that is popular, the agenda that is popular. I have no morals. I have no values. This is what I'm going with. And, and now I care about the woman. Although I was just saying, grab them by the peas. This, if this isn't hypocrisy, I don't know what is. What do you think about it? I think that Trump is actually just alarmingly good at electoral politics. <laughs> um, you know, like taking all the morality out of it, the fact of the matter is, is that Trump is right. Uh, the Democrats did rally around uh, reproductive rights as far as that, as, as that, as that uh, euphemism for the t- for it, it goes. Um, they rallied around that in 2022, and that brought them some big victories and surprise victories, even in cases. And I think that you know Trump sees that and says, "Well, we're going to have to get that." But the same thing is the, the other part of it is that I think that the Democratic uh, analysts and the punditry that are saying that it's a lie aren't necessarily completely correct. It's not that it's a lie. It's that it's impossible for Trump to undo what he's done with the court appointments. So it's kind of one of those things where he can promise you the world because he knows that he can never deliver by law. Like, there's no way he's going to go back and like, oh, well, you know what? By executive order, Roe v. Wade, the decision that came down is is now reversed, right? We're going to reverse Roe v. We're going to reverse the reversal. That's just not going to happen, right? That's not how, how it works. And done. Right. And the idea is that the only way they can go past it is to codify Roe v. Wade and codify abortion rights and access. And the chances of that happening, you, you see the clown show that we have going on right now. We can't even pass a budget, much less to pass something as controversial as abortion access with getting all 600, I mean, 538 people on board to get that done. It's just not getting, getting a ha- you know, whatever majority you need to get that done is not going to happen right now in, in the current political climate. I get you. I mean, uh, you, you 
you brought a new thought to my mind when you were just speaking and I just never see him as being someone that's actually playing chess. Like, I, I see him as being, like, a narcissistic person doing whatever it takes so that he can win. So I didn't think that there was, like, real strategy behind what he's doing. But, of course, there is. I had to take my emotion out of it for a minute because um, reading it, it, it really infu- like it enraged me a bit because uh, I think of – I think the one thing that he had going for him was this, was that he was saying, oh, I'm pro-life, and, you know, this is the enduring trait that he had. It was because he was against something that – that was, you know, about killing kids, right? Killing babies. So whether or not you believe it's a baby or not, it's a baby. Five. It, I mean, it, it is. But I, I mean, really look at it, right? You have the pro-life activists upset. They have what they want, right? Like little kid in the backseat has the toy that they want. They're still crying because they're upset, right? Because the idea of that toy not being in their hand is is being broached. The idea that they're not going to get to keep the toy and they have to give the toy back to their to their sibling is being broached, and they're still crying. And then on the other side of the uh, other side of the backseat, you have the Democrats saying it was a lie and it was this and that, not realizing that the toy belongs to the other kid anyway, because they have the court. Right. And the Trump is is driving the car and he's smiling and laughing. And as crazy as it sounds, like Donald Trump might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. Don't get me wrong; he's not going to come up with uh, some kind of chemistry uh, formula or some or, or some sort of mathematical financial formula. He's not that guy. But he's great at playing on people's on their people's emotions, he and he's a great marketer, and he's been doing it for a long time. So you know, as much as I, you know, I, you you're can pull, right, you can right. pull out the faults of Trump. The, you know, you know, we talked about McCarthy getting to where he's at. Trump didn't get to where he's at without at least some finesse. Yeah, it was some finesse, but it was also a lot of people being mad because Obama had just been president and we had a woman running on the Democratic Party and most women couldn't get behind or they just don't like Hillary at large and women tend to vote for men. It's just the facts of it all. And I guess the, you know, I mean, but yeah, it was a large pool of people that he went against and people that you would definitely have would have expected. But I said, and I called it at the beginning, I was like, Donald Trump will be the the. The GOP nomination back whenever I nah, was. In, yeah, I, I agree that you, you did say he was going to be the nominee. Well, let me ask you a question if you remember back to that. Did Ber- did Donald Trump say anything positive about Bernie Sanders when he leading up? Because you remember he was talking about his, the, like he was looking past. He was ahead above the class and he was looking past to see who was in, in the class, the class next door that he was going to have to challenge while, while he was at the debates. He was mentioning one person and one person only. He was Sanders. No, he was only mentioning one person. He was mentioning Hillary Clinton. Yeah, he mentioned Hillary Clinton. Right, because he, he assumed that she was going to be the nominee, and he was running against her before. Yeah, yeah, he, I knew that part. Yeah, right, and yeah. everybody didn't believe that but he, he didn't could win. Sanders, though. No, I mean, he said, he, what did he say about Sanders? Well, okay. But he, I said, you he said, he said, I would, he, 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 he mentioned him to belittle him. Yeah. He said, I would love to run against him because at. I would smash him into the ground, basically. Yeah. Things yeah. along those lines. And then he took Hillary Clinton and he treated her as if he was. He was already her opponent. Right, exactly. And that's the way you have to do it, yeah. Right, so that. he knows something about the marketing that he knew something about well, how. he knows how to market for sure. How, how, how the, pl- the Democratic primary was going to play out. You, you know, like, and, even, and even he, with the. He sold Bernie Sanders short. He shorted Bernie Sanders' sock because he knew that Bernie Sanders would actually be. In, in is some, actually he's exactly like him on right, the other side, right? So right? it'd be They're a the harder same race for him, yeah. to differentiate himself from Bernie Sanders. But Bernie Sanders doesn't know how to market. That's the problem. Right. Bernie Sanders isn't good at marketing, even though he did make those books and make some money, some millions of dollars that he would have never gotten elsewhere if he had never ran for president. Um, he's just not the the. the 
the master marketer, as you say. And this is really interesting. Yeah. And I think the problem of it is and what it, all of it is, is like, yeah, he plays on our emotions. It's a problem that the GOP allows themselves to continue to be the victim of demagoguery, of, of demagoguery and especially that of what is Bernie's, I mean, not Bernie Sanders, but Donald Trump, um, because Donald Trump doesn't give a hell one way or the other about abortion because, you know, he's going to have his abortions uh, for his mistresses and whoever else. He's going to have them done. And then in the same vein, he'll say, oh, I'm pro-life, but he don't care. He doesn't care one way or the other. I wouldn't even be surprised if the guy hadn't murdered somebody for real. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, that you could be a rich white guy and get away with pretty much everything. Um, when you're backed by the GOP, anyway. Um, <laughs> let's see. Let's go ahead and go on over to our story. So that brings us up to our current president and his uh, recent uh, walk into a flag. Yeah. Uh, that that one that story uh you know is very interesting in and of itself uh unfortunately um i don't know if he was actually trying to snub it i think that some media were saying that he was trying to snub it or you know because it's just the whole look of everything and that's it, again like what i'm saying with uh where we've been talking about the aging of both uh trump and uh biden is that you know some of these actions when you add the age factor into it even if he wasn't that age, people will be wondering what what happened. Like, how do you walk into a flagpole? How do you, you know, if you're going to snub the guy, snub the guy. We remember when Obama refused to shake Putin's hand. Um, we remember when, like, these are not, it's not very hard uh, to do these sort of things. And to, and to, uh, if, you're, if, you're intent, if your intent is to do that, you know, yeah, your intent is to do that. So... You're just seeing the video right now, Ram, are you? Yeah, I had never seen it. I just read about the story. He, yeah, so he walked into a seven-foot-tall Brazilian flag as he took the stage, taking a moment to get his bearings as the flag wobbled. Um, oh, I, I really feel bad for the guy, honestly. I like Biden a lot. He just seems like... I mean, honestly, doesn't he seem like somebody in your family already, like... He, you know, everybody has like those uncles or in my case, I have a father. He'll like say certain things where it's like, you know, God love him. It's like Biden, you know, he's been making gas for a while. He's been making gas even before he was the vice president or he'll say certain things. Somebody was in a wheelchair and he's like, oh, stand up, stand up. And then obviously the person ends up being not able to stand up. Um, and then like, so yesterday, um, he, he, he struggled with his headset, um, which was a translation device. Um, uh, and he said, can you hear me, President Biden? Uh, this is, uh, the Brazilian president, uh, speaking. And he said, this is a historic moment for Brazil and for the U S the Brazilian leader asked when he did not immediately respond. Lula asked again, President Biden, can you hear me? He turned toward the 80 year old president who nodded in response, but continued to fumble with the headset throughout Lula's speech. At one point, Biden dropped it and raised his eyebrows in frustration. Oh, gosh. At the end, Biden shook hands with the International Labor Organization Director General Gilbert Wongbo. Yeah. But turned and wandered off as Lula offered his hand. He instead simply waved to the audience and awkwardly saluted before he shuffled off the stage. As he left, Lula looked visibly irritated and made a swiping gesture with his arm. It is just the latest gaffe from Biden, who has faced escalating concerns over his age as he runs to remain president in 2024. Aw, I mean, look. 
It's so sad. His face, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, where he's messing with the thing. And, you know, obviously, I don't think that he meant to snub no. Lulu. But, you know, then if you start thinking about the people who are around him, the far left are not necessarily... Oh, I think they are fans of Lulu. So, he, I don't think there was any intention here. And it looks really bad. Yeah, it's really sad. I think that, you know, again, I'll say I'll bring this up. I have my grandma. She had... You know, she had early on. Well, no, it's not early onset. It was she just had to she had dementia, and uh, you know when you when you when you become older up in age, she was in her eighties, um, and she ended up having dementia, and um, you know she would struggle to do you know normal tasks, and you would you know find them find her wondering about the house, um, you know, and then in the middle of the night she would get up and you should be eating things that wouldn't make sense like certain things and. You know, it, and I know that look, and it it appears that our, you know, it, it appear, that look looks like it's on our president's face, and I really hate it, and I hate that. Um, obviously, we're at a point in our uh, in America where we need a strong leader, and I and he may not even be aware of what's even going on. I mean, I just yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Lulu is a socialist, so it's not like his far left, you know, people that are whispering in his ear that are far left that. Obviously, those type of people that said, you know, okay, we need to hire a kleptomaniac that has a bald head but dresses as a woman um, as an energy department director. Um, those types of people that we're talking about, we're getting that. Um, obviously, those same people would have no problem with Lulu. So the fact that he's snubbing him, you got to wonder if he thought he was in a meeting with Putin or something like that. Or if he blamed Lulu for the malfunction with the electronics set. And Lulu's an old enough man himself where he definitely wasn't in charge of you know, setting up uh, that that uh, that translation system that was going there. So, or maybe he snubbed him on purpose. Maybe maybe he isn't for the socialists. You know, one would have to wonder. But I think that he looks confused. <laughs> I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt here. I don't know. Oh man, it's like um, goodness. It, it, it looks bad. The, the the worry on his face, just trying to get the headset. I mean, I don't know. He looks like he's having a hard time with that. But I don't know. Just uh, I guess we're kind of. You know, moving on into uh, more local news, it's still national, but it's local. Um, and if you've been following our migrant crisis situation in New York City, um, it, you'd also notice that uh, Biden uh, called for protection of Venezuelans. Um, and Adams and Hochul both have said this is a game changer in migrant crisis for New York City. The federal government is clearing the way for a large number of New York City asylum seekers to live and work in the country legally. President Joe Biden is granting temporary legal status to hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans who are already in the country. It is a game changer and something Mayor Eric Adams and Governor Kathy Hochul have asked the federal government to do for months. Official estimates about 40% of the migrants in New York right now are Venezuelan. Wow. So the first thing I thought when I read this was, okay, so what about the other people that aren't Venezuelan and do they get to work or is this only for Venezuelans? And why are we so focused on just the Venezuelans uh, specifically? And then I saw like later on that Eric Adams also had like certain um, he, um, Mayor Eric Adams also had certain comments about it as well. Obviously, he, you know, is. Uh, you know, citing that this is a game changer, him along with the governor, uh, Hochul. Um, but he also was like, you know, um, to just kind of get into it. He was also saying, okay, so what about like the other, hopefully this will be extended to other migrants as well that have come um, seeking asylum and that also other cities will also benefit and get that um, 
temporary legal status that they need so they're not uh, burdened by the migrant crisis, which is a national crisis. Um, you know, I think that this is just one of those, uh, it's easy to actually apply for as a Venezuelan because you can say you're a supporter of Juan Guaido and that you uh, were in trouble uh, under the Maduro regime. But if we're really considering that what that means, that would mean a lot more people than just 100,000 people or 600,000 Venezuelans would be coming across the border because essentially what happened in that election, the latest election in, in, in Venezuela was that Guaido potentially beat Maduro. So we're talking about the majority of Venezuelans coming to our shores if this was a, a real legitimate cause or a real legitimate uh, claim that, you know, at this point in time, Maduro, the reality of it is that Maduro can't afford to kill every supporter of Guaido. Because I mean, most of his people. Right, that would be the majority of the country. So it's one of those things where, you know, it's it's a little bit less checkers and a lot more chess going on, where he would kill certain people, certain high-level people, certain organizers that, you know, to shut down the movement. But it wouldn't mean that hundreds of thousands of people, because election uh, campaign isn't that big. Exactly. And I, I, I definitely agree with you there. And I, I wanted to just ask you, because like because we're now going to be putting these people to work, I wanted to ask you, what jobs do you think they'll be getting? Because I, I didn't know that we had so many jobs to offer in the first place in the city. Uh, would you agree with that rhetoric what, that I'm saying? Or? Well, I think that, you know, just putting them to work, in a sense, will get them out of the city because they'll realize that there's more labor opportunities elsewhere in the country. You know, obviously, New York, you know, there's there's obviously, they've already entered the black market for certain um, types of labor as far as uh, the delivery slash courier um, lane that exists as far as uh, uh, Uber Eats and, and, and DoorDash and things like that, that these migrants have already begin, begun to work for illegally. Um, I don't know how they're doing it, but they are, and it's, there are several reports coming out of the city as of late that you know the migrants are working and doing these things uh, as far as that goes. But I think that you know, as far as getting a real job and getting, and not to to, to demean our, our our delivery people, but the rate of pay and what can be done with a similar rate of pay, like by say working for Amazon. Uh, in somewhere like Pennsylvania or somewhere like, you know, West Virginia and what you could do for your family with the housing prices there is much different than what you could do in the city. It's just a fact of it's, it's simple economics. And that's why, you know, it's, it's gotten to the point right now where, you know, it's, it's taken so long for this aid to come. And part of the reason why the aid has taken so long to come is because of the far left. When we have far left leaders saying that, you know, New York City uh, took on, you know, 18 million people uh, every decade. Uh, in the 1800s, and as if we had housed them all, and, you know, simple math would tell you if we did that for 100 years, there'd be 180 million people living in New York City, or at least, you know, at least somewhere around 60, 70 million people if we're doing, you know, demographic math of, of, of uh, population dynamics uh, with uh, people dying and stuff. You'd have 60, 70 million people living in the city. New York City would be the largest city several times over in the whole world if that were the case. The real fact of the matter is, is that most people left immediately upon arriving and then you know a, a good majority of the people that did end up staying for one generation leave after that that's how it goes in new york city i i, I agree with your point and i and i think i think <laughs> the thing that i wanted to like just point out from the article that we had saw about like the underground um the underground uh well the illegal underground work that's being conducted by migrants in the city um it says that um the post spoke with 36 migrants over a five-day period of whom 65 percent said they were already taking off the book jobs in the food service and delivery construction or house 
housekeeping industries, um, while um, city officials generally took the other way. And, and, and so with that many of that much of a percentage of migrants already doing that. I mean, it makes me think like how effective will this rollout of, of, of a temporary visa or work visa be um, whenever it's like you're taking money off the books already, you don't have to be taxed for it. What, how many people are actually going to sign up for these work visas when now they're already getting paid? You know what I mean? Oh, that's a great, that's a great point. I mean, there's no shortage of off-the-book work in New York City, definitely, because you have people, the exorbitant taxes, people are going to look for ways to get around those rules because, you know, New York City all, and, and the state always have their hand in your pocket. And when you add what the Fed takes, it gets really extreme. It gets really bad. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of jobs that are under threat. Um, I've had friends in the construction industry tell me that there's migrants that show up to their work site every morning begging for work. And there have been a couple of days where they've been short and they've allowed some of the migrants to work. So, you know, and they got paid out the, out the boss's pocket. So that's just the fact of the matter. It's going to happen. Um, those people are going to work, um, whether we like it or not, seeing that they're here already and we're giving them hotel rooms and we're giving them, you know, all these accommodations. And, not you know, just thinking. the same, you know, it's the strategies that we're talking about and how people uh, remain in these places you know, it's just going to it's going to dawn on, on a few of them. And it's like what we were talking about yesterday with Staten Island and living in Bay Ridge and stuff like that. Somebody's going to cross the bridge and they're going to end up in New Jersey and somebody's going to cross the bridge and end up in in Delaware. And they're going to say, hey, listen, there's no there's no actual income taxes here in Delaware. So you can get an even better job and still stay off the books because you only have to pay this much in taxes and you don't have to worry about IRS or anything like that or getting deported for doing these illegal things. Right. And people are going to move. And, and they actually get to stay here now, right? Because they're seeking asylum. So they're, they're going to be off the books, oh, yeah, not contributing to taxes. and Right, the Venezuelans for sure. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I mean, I think I hope that they would uh, extend this to other people as well. I mean, we have people from Africa, people from all different parts of the you know, globe. Um, it, it, it would make sense that you wouldn't just like single out and allow only one group of individuals to be able to work because I know a lot of other people would like to contribute to and not have to live off the government. I, I just, you know, I think that it's not going to happen like that because you can't just fast forward those work visas for those people. And some of them are going to get sent back ultimately as much as Biden doesn't want to say it as much as all these other people are, 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 they're, they don't want to uh, address the realities and they're playing politics as far as this goes. The fact of the matter is, is the reason why they don't grant them the immediate uh, work visas because they know that they're going to send them back. Yeah, it's interesting. And although like Biden um, doesn't want to say it, it, it seems that Biden, I, I wanted to bring up the, the a little bit more about uh, the, the snubbing that's been happening, right? So um, Biden hasn't, you know, he hasn't been, uh, as far as Eric Adams is concerned, hadn't been that helpful. Um, this Venezuelan thing looks like a little bit of a silver lining and something that has been terrible. Um, but Joe Biden, um, recently on Tuesday night, he was at a reception and he was praising New York officials for hosting him uh, for the past uh, three days during the United States General Assembly. Um, and it... Um, but he wasn't thanking uh, Mayor Eric Adams at all. He was thanking uh, Governor Kathy Hochul. Um, and Biden said at the top of his speech at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Kathy, thank you very much for everything this great city has done to make this General Assembly a success. And I would have to say that that is a real snub because you come to the guy's city and you didn't even, you didn't thank the guy that actually is the mayor. You, you think the governor is not usually typical protocol. 
I think that actually New York, I feel, is uh, one of those places where it's different. Because in other states, they would be like the governor would be at the front and not necessarily the mayor because the mayor is considered like a smaller politician. But in New York State, it's often that the mayor outshines the governor. You right. know, people knew Rudy Giuliani, but they don't know who Pataki is. I mean, if you and people in- knew Bloomberg and they didn't know who Pataki was, who was the, the governor like forever. He was like a governor right. for 16 years. So he covered parts of, of Bloomberg's uh, reign and parts of uh, of uh, Pataki's reign. I mean, of... Uh, of, of um, Giuliani's uh, uh, tenure, and it's it's one of those things where you know the New York mayor does outshine the governor, so it's odd in that way. But then if you look at it in the specter of uh, or through the lens of uh, national politics, I don't know if it's necessarily that odd. But we all know that Eric Adams is a guy that like is looking for that photo op, and we also know that um, he's ever present in New York City. So the fact that you do snub him is kind of weird, and the fact that you guys hammered out a deal and now you don't still don't want to talk to him is is really weird. And I think that you have to. I think that Biden isn't snubbing, and I think that it's his his handlers that are snubbing Eric Adams. Well, yeah, obviously it is definitely because they don't like his politics. Yeah, definitely, it's definitely um, Biden's uh, administration that is snubbing Eric Adams. But I would have to say that it's definitely abnormal. Um, you don't come to the city and you and not give some kind of a thank you to the the actual the, the the executive body that is over that city and i know i know kathy holtel in the grander scheme of things she would out um she would outrank him everywhere else but like you said there's a different type of precedent set in new york and him not mentioning him is weird um i mean definitely because like there was another story this week uh or today yes we're coming in we we're looking at and it's that people were sitting in the train with Kathy Hochul and didn't know who she was, and they were Googling her name to figure out who she was. Yeah, that's so, hilarious. So, yeah, obviously Eric Adams is nationally known at this point in time. Uh, mayors of other cities comment on him. Governors of other cities, of other states comment on him. People don't even know how to pronounce Kathy Hochul's name, yeah, Kathy Hochul. It's Hochul. I think it's Hochul, but it is you know, pe- pe- I'm people, trying my best. <laughs> people don't know how to pronounce her name. So that's just one of the things that of it. Like, uh, There's no mistaking who Eric Adams is. Um, so, you know, that's just, that's just what it is. So it is, it is, you know, questionable at at the very least what happened, but I think that we can easily point towards the Biden administration, which leans further left than he does. And I think that Biden comes from, you know, the third way school of politics that gave us Bill Clinton and a lot of those guys that like to see themselves as people that can work between both parties and be bipartisan and bring anyone to the table. So I don't think it's within, it's, it's within his character to do this. It's, it's something that he's being directed to do because and Eric even- Adams represents everything that the far left hates and everything that the far left denies about the realities of electoral politics and the African-American community in America. You're correct on that. And I also would have to say that it happened probably speaks to where his mental state is too and his abilities because he would have not been someone that would have done that normally um so you know one 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 thing that i just wanted to point out the last thing i guess on this whole little migrant issue migrant crisis and everything happening here in new york um hokel uh she issued a dire warning to migrants and she's basically saying we truly are out of space but in the same breath she is saying that Eric Adams, um, she's thanking Eric Adams uh, for his leadership in the matter. So it looks like we're getting some consensus, some common sense, like you said in the opener. Well, I think she had to thank Eric Adams to be able to make the papers, if you want to be honest, because when you, you remember that, st- <laughs> that, uh, that uh, poll that went out 
uh, from uh, HCN, uh, Hamilton uh, Campaign Network, Mm. They said that they thought Eric Adams was <laughs> the prominent Latino leader of the city. So yeah. if we're looking at that and, and and they think so, you know, these people, obviously, they're watching some Univision, some uh, Galavision and they're seeing Eric Adams and they probably do know who Eric Adams is. Everybody knows who he is. Right? You saw that he did that um, amazing thing with the Nepal, the, the, the Nepalese uh, right. people right. recently. Did I say that right? How yeah, Nepalese, okay. yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, you got the dumb in him right. Yes, and that's, that's what I was trying and, to say. And that's, um, <laughs> so, you know, Eric, they know who Eric Adams is. They don't have a clue who Kathy Hochul is. They don't know who she is. And when she's saying that she's just backing up Eric Adams because the other part of it is that she's giving him the okay and more support from left of his position to do what he has to do with people that are coming into the city. Thank you for saying that because I thought it was really good political chess for her because this is a way for her to continue on so she can re uh, she could be able to continue to run as governor because I, I think she probably has been paying attention to those headlines and Cuomo getting press and that might not be something that she wants uh, to happen. If I'm her, I wouldn't. Oh yeah, Cuomo on the comeback tour body slams her. And Eric Adams right now, I think, personally, body slams her because he only needs to use one issue. The migrants. He talks about this migrant crisis and puts it on her head for not giving him the aid that he needed and not helping him get aid from Joe Biden and how he's going about trying to get aid. People are going to vote for Eric Adams over her in a heartbeat in New York State. He's going to get people crossing the line, just like he did in, in, the, in general, people registering to become Democrat to vote for him because they realize he has the best chance of winning overall because he's going to carry the black vote in new york which is a large vote right so i'm just going to go ahead and read a little bit from what this article said and it says hokel said she had been pushing for more than a year to get venezuelans a temporary protected status that allows them to work in the u.s and that now working migrants will begin to live independently instead of relying on the city's shelter system expanding temporary protected status to migrants allows them to work within 30 days instead of 180 meaning they will be able to exit the shelter sooner. Um, but the overall uh, summary or summation of this article is that she's telling uh, migrants if they're looking to come to New York City, they need to look elsewhere because they're at capacity. Um, and I just wonder, with all of that being said, if she ever thought that maybe they could go elsewhere in the state rather than just come to New York City, maybe she would, it, it, you know, if you open up upstate a little bit, then that would alleviate some of the issues too. But that's not something that she mentions. And so I, I, I think that, again, she's really playing chess here. I think that she she's you know she's not playing chess, it's checkers because she knows that if they come upstate, she loses any moderate and and right leaning vote that she does have, and she has no other way to maneuver it but then to let the shit fall at Eric Adams' feet. Oh, okay. It's that simple, right? It's a you know he's the designated fall guy, the whipping boy, and we're gonna let it happen. And then she thanks him for beating the shit out of him. But, but that's, that's, that's she the doesn't. Che- that's the chess part that I, would I, say. I, 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 I you know what. I would say so, but when you realize what come that she didn't gain any more name recognition, one during the situation, two, Eric Adams got gained a lot more name recognition when you got people in other states mentioning his positions on the migrant crisis and him gaining followers in all different camps because this is something where even people that are on the left are like, "Nah, this is this is one step too much, one step too far." So, you know, I think that she it looks from from looking at far away from it. It looks like chess, 
when you get really close, it's like playing checkers with chess pieces. I, I hear what you're saying. I still say that it's chess because she still remains the person that Biden is praising and she never gets any of the smoke. And so she still gets to look willy nilly and perfect and setting up there like a porcelain doll. While again, Eric Adams has to clean up the mess and the mess still hasn't been resolved. So while we're talking about Holtel, I just want to tell this one story. It's a comic relief story that I think that is funny um, and that we could probably uh, laugh about a little bit. But a, um, a the sperm, the serial sperm donor running for city council and a fellow protester accosted Governor Kathy Hochul over the Big Apple's migrant crisis as she spoke at the Manhattan event Tuesday. Um, and so this guy's name is Jonathan Rinaldi. Um, he's a candidate for Queens uh, Council District and his pal David Rim filmed themselves interrupting a forum at a Jewish center before the two men were escorted out. Um, and basically they were upset uh, about migrants um, coming into New York and not being screened for COVID. And I think it's like a actually it's a valid argument that they're making. Um, they may they may have went about it in the wrong way, but I think that's their within their rights, right? It's the First Amendment, right? But um, I think if we had let off with the story, we might have got more laughs out of it. But like after we were just, what we were just talking about, this is exactly what I'm saying. It's like chess with checker pieces because okay. at the end of the day, right? This is a, a like this is a Jewish event, right? And we know how Jewish. Voters and and this is I guess us un, unveiling or uncapping some of the stuff that uh, we know as political operatives and as political uh, consultants that the Jews are very the, the Jewish vote is very critical of women and it's harder for a woman to get their to get their backing and something like this that makes them look weak at a summit for them could be detrimental to their vote. I mean, it could be, right? It could be. Um, I, I was going to bring up something about COVID because of this. This is one of the reasons I pulled it out is because I figure you have more of an insight here. Um, but, you know, given that they're just uh, they're crying about COVID at the Jewish event, do you think that they care that much given how, you know, COVID went down in the city to begin with? Do you think that this is something that would really um, be uh, appear as her not having a handle on it? I think that the issue is not necessarily important as far as what the takeaway from some of the viewers there will be. Um, and maybe so. Let me say, like, I don't, I, you know, because we were looking at the story and I didn't really read into what group it was. So, so it, it, looks, was... it appears to be just a regular, um, just a, a meeting at a... Um, it was the Center for Jewish History, but because it was around the, the right, whole so it's not, thing it's, that's it's, going on with the UN. Right, the time, right. You know? So, yeah, this is real bad for him. This is real bad for her because it doesn't matter about COVID for them. Whether Because I think that you'll have a mix of people that are, you know, going in different directions as far as how they feel about COVID. Mm -hmm. But what you do have are rabbis that see Kathy Hochul being shouted down in much of the way that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was shouted down. Uh, earlier in the week, and it weakens, uh, you know, her position. So again, like I said, it's chess. It, it's chess being. I mean, checkers being played with chess pieces. It it looks fancy, but at the end of the day, is she really gaining anything from this? And this is from an important contingency, a, a constituency that she needs in order to win, especially against Cuomo. And this wouldn't have happened against Cuomo. Cuomo might have punched the guy in his face. 
<laughs> You're right. But I think, uh, you know, also I, I, I will have to agree with you on this. And maybe it is checkers that she's playing because the one thing that I wasn't really thinking about and it kind of dawned on me when I you just started talking, I, I think that, you know, the way that they were so um, – I don't know, though. I think it can go either way still. But the way that they were so tough on vaccinations in the city and what we lived through during that time, um, I think it's really hypocritical that they're so lax and they're not checking any kinds of vaccination of these migrants as they come in. It, it, it will probably not go in her favor with just that alone and them being so laxadaisical on the requirements for the COVID vaccine uh, with the migrants. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 is that is uh, true. All right, so this leads us to our WTF story of the day, and this one is something I picked out, which is completely different than usual because obviously Kyle is always the one finding these stories. But I saw this one yesterday. It's a little old, not too old, but it happened this you know in the week. Um, and we have a Florida woman story that really makes me shake my head and thank God that he gave me more decency. And then in this story, I want you to go ahead and read it because you might be shocked. Right, so for a change, I haven't read this story. And so we're going to discover this story together. Uh, you, the listener, and I, the reader, will discover this story. Deputies arrested a 32-year-old woman after she allegedly left her 11-year-old son in a hotel room with a deceased man after she and the victim did drugs and had a sexual threesome with another man. According to the Flagler County Sheriff's Office, on the morning of Sunday, August 10th, deputies went to Hammock Beach Resort after receiving a call about someone performing CPR on an unresponsive adult male. EMS arrived at the scene and pronounced the 60-year-old man deceased. Deputies reported, reportedly noticed various narcotics and drug paraphernalia inside the hotel room. And, the spoke, and spoke with Amy Kemper, who confirmed there was drug use in the room overnight. Investigators learned Kemper's son had been in the hotel room while she did drugs with the victim and had a threesome with the victim and another man. The sheriff's office said Kemper's no, Kemper noticed the victim was snoring unusually when she left the property with the other adult male, but decided to leave her child in the same room. When she and the other man returned hours later, the 60-year-old was dead. Kemper's charging documents identify the victim as Tim Timothy Fairnick. Kemper told deputies Fairnick snorted cocaine, smoked marijuana, and took Viagra <laughs> in the hours preceding his death. According to the affidavit on Sunday, September 9th, Kemper, Fairnick, her friend Joseph Dowdy, a man named Brian, and another male went to a bar in Flagler Beach and stayed out until 2 a.m. Fairnick and Kemper reportedly picked up her son from her mother's house. Then everyone met up at the hotel around 3 a.m. While in the room, Kemper reportedly put his son to sleep on a couch near the balcony door, balcony doors in front of the bed. Kemper said all five adults were doing cocaine in the same room as the sleeping boy, but they kept the cocaine in the bathroom away from his sight line. At some point, Dowdy and the other males left, left the room so Kemper, Fernick, and Brian could have a sexual threesome. They reportedly tried to move the couch into the closet and shield the, and shield the doors with a sheet so if the boy woke up, he would not see or hear sexual activities occurring. At approximately 5 a.m., Kemper reportedly observed Timothy Fernick having what she believed was a medical episode and called for help. The affidavit says the exact time she called for, his, for help is unclear because conflicting times are reported through the investigation. She noticed his unusual soaring, 
then allegedly determined he was sleep- he was just sleeping. She and Dowdy left him in the hotel room to sleep it off and drove to Daytona Beach to see her friend. When the two returned at 925, they knocked on the door and her son answered. She found Fernick unresponsive and cold on the bed and called 911. Wow, those blue pills, they get you every time. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's a crazy story, but I feel like I don't... They told on themselves and they were trying to tell the truth, obviously, because they could have just said that he didn't wake up and they were there the whole time. And, and she could have kept the boy from talking. So it's kind of, it's one of those weird stories where if uh, she were aware of her actual um, rights as a parent, she wouldn't have gotten in trouble for that. But it's Florida. <laughs> it's Florida. And if you look at her picture, you kind of look, you, you can kind of see she looks kind of high out of her mind. I, I would have to say that I believe that she's doing a whole lot more than coke and marijuana. Um, just by the look of her, I'd have to say, I don't know if they, did they say meth? Did they say meth? Well, they said that the guy did that. So, she looks like so she does that. She but I mean, I'm saying she has, to, I mean, you gotta be a little crazy. I mean, I just wondered, one of the things that I actually wondered is, did she know the guy was actually dead before she left him with the kid? I know it says she doesn't know that, but I mean, I wouldn't really put it past her. Maybe she thought he was going to wake up. Maybe it's not a WTF story for you, but it is definitely, no, definitely a weird is a one for WTF me. WTF story. It, like, you look bored about it. <laughs> I, you know, I was expecting it, like because the headline kind of like buried it for me. They they, uh, they or they they hyped it up on this one because I felt like it was gonna be like she told a boy like it was like a, a weekend at Bernie's kind of situation where oh, she's okay. like Uncle Bernie's gonna watch you, mm-hmm. and she puts Uncle Bernie propped up with the sunglasses on. <laughs> On the couch, and like the boys, like, all right, I have to be on my best behavior because Uncle Bernie doesn't go to sleep. I actually kind of thought that, but the kid was eleven, so I was like, I think that she left, and she already knew the dude was dead, and she just pretended like she didn't know. Yeah, that's what I think. The guy must have. I mean, he must have already died. I mean, it's possible. I mean, there's a lot of of, of, of ideas, like the idea that you can put somebody in a closet, and obviously, it's like one of those closets with the slatted doors or, or, or the doors with the slats because that's why you put the sheet over it mm-hmm. and that would prevent the sounds of a threesome from going into the i mean but come on right it's still like it's right. not effective. just get right. another room or something dude right 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 so you have that whole situation going and then you know she the age difference the guy's 60 she's 32 so you know it's it's a, a, there's a lot of funny parts or not funny parts but a lot of like icky parts on this on the story but I think that really what happened was that she told herself either way you cut it, whether or not she really did leave him or not. Because if they, if she was the one that called the police, then she didn't have to say that her son was there. Yeah, at all. <laughs> right. But she was probably high out of her mind because she probably yeah. left to have more drugs, to use more drugs. Um, and it says like, uh, you know, investigators reportedly discovered numerous sex toys in the bathroom and condom wrappers on the bed. Um, and it, Kemper was arrested on a charge of neglect of a child without great bodily harm she posted bond and was released september the 18th um her arraignment is scheduled for october 30th and that will conclude our wtf story and i'm at the end of my coffee you've drank yours this has been an experimental episode i had to pick the stories today and uh so if it went a little long sorry about that but thank you for listening continue to listen like subscribe rate and review Oh, you got it right.